Grayson, I'm losing my voice because um, I was backstage cheering for Kentucky, who was losing to Florida. Don't clap if you're a Florida fan. Shut up. All right. Anyway, uh, uh, welcome back to this thing we're calling uh, Behind Closed Doors. And if you weren't here last week, let me kind of catch up uh, to, to, to kind of speed where we hit last week and we're going for the, the rest of this month. And why are we calling this thing uh, Doors? Why are we calling it Behind Closed Doors? And I was amazed at how many of you all did not see all the doors in the lobby last weekend. What? Like, what doors? There's like 50 out there. And so you might want to notice them on your way out. But here's, how, here's why we're, we're using this analogy of doors is one of the very first times that Jesus ever stood up and publicly spoke about, you know, about connecting back to his father, kind of getting things kind of straightened out in your life. He said this, as if, if you have any questions that you have about any area of life, he, he says this, he said, he said it like this, he said, ask God, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, and here's, here's where we're going, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and anyone who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be open. All right. In another place, Jesus said this is, you got questions about stuff, about life, you know, he says, you know, you know why you don't know, you know why you don't have It's because you've, you've asked everybody, but God, what if you just stopped, you know, and said, you know, Hey, Hey, I, I want to know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Uh, not just about this area, but any area of my life. And you know, maybe you even have this big question going, I, I want to figure out what God's will is for my life. And Jesus says, you know, before you run to all your friends or run to your, run to your husband, your wife, your parents, before you run and poll the public, you know, something like that, why don't you ask me? Why don't, why don't you just come and ask me, knock on my door? And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're looking at this. If I knocked on God's door and asked him, hey, God, what do you got to say about love, about marriage, about sexuality, about singleness, about divorce, about remarriage, about intimacy? What do you have to say about that? Or another way you might want to look at this is going, listen, I got a whole bunch of doors in front of me. And if I go through this door, I've always thought this is the door I'm supposed to go through. This is what all my friends told me. This is the door I'm supposed to go through. And this is what I just feel in my heart. This is the door I'm supposed to go through. Or I've always been taught this is what the, the you know, divorce or marriage or, or sexuality, I've always kind of thought it's this. And, and now you've got this God door over here. And I'm just trying to figure out which one I go through and what's on the other side of that door. And which one's going to take me to the place that I really kind of want to end up? And is it better than what I have now? And so, so last week we kicked this out, kicked this off. All right. And it was, uh, Scott got up here and he taught, okay, let me, let me talk about this is that God has this plan and remember, and we still have them hanging around the, the, the sides of the, of the room. And if, at the end of the today, you want to go stand under it by yourself or, or, or with your spouse, go do that. But basically it's, it's that there's this place that God says it's called marriage. It's the perfect place to work out those intimate parts of your life, the sexuality parts of your life, to, to work through conflict. It's, it, it doesn't have, it, there's no guilt there. There's no shame there. And it's kind of like, like these are God's wings. And, and you just, you by yourself until you get married or if you never get married or, or with your spouse, you just live under here and everything is going to be good. You stay under there. You don't, you don't wander out from under there. And you don't let the wrong person kind of come in under there. And God, God says, listen, that's a, that's a good way to live your life. And, and here's the thing is, okay, I love what Scott had to say. And I, and I heard from a bunch of you. You, you did too. I, I, read his, I read his notes before he got up here. That I, 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 uh, I came to three services last weekend. I loved it. I listened to part of it online. All right. I thought it was awesome. It, it was true. It came out of the Bible. I, I really believe if you would have knocked on God's door and said, hey, God, what do you have to say about marriage and intimacy? That God would say something very similar to what Scott said last week. So here's my question, all right? Then why are we spending four more weeks on it? You know, I mean, if, if you kind of, you know, Scott said, this is what God has to say about marriage and sex and intimacy. Everybody got it? Great. Okay, let's move on to something else now. Now, why are we going to spend another month on this subject? And here's why. But by show of hands, all right, has anybody been able to do that? 
I mean, has any, is there any unmarried person in here that says, you know what? Since the day I moved under the hoopah, it's been easy. I mean, I don't have bad thoughts anymore. And I just stand out of here and it's just me and Jesus, you know, and I'm going to stand here forever until he brings me a spouse. And if he doesn't meet, bring me a spouse, that's okay too. I'll just read my Bible. I'm fine. Any, any, any single people like that's, that's my life. All right. Or any married people in here going, you know what? And I'm telling you, ever since we've moved under there, under this, this umbrella thing, all right, it's easy. We stop fighting. I mean, it, it's, we, we don't ever disagree. We don't argue. We don't have any other bad thoughts. We're like a walking commercial for eHarmony, I'm telling you. And the sex, ah, it just gets better and better, more frequent. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, pillows are exploding, and he's like making, she sings opera in the middle. I'm telling you, it's, it's. And then we, we make hot chocolate and cuddle and we talk about our day. Any, any, anyone? That's because you're an evil church, okay? <laughs> right, right? Because, I mean, have you ever been told this before? If you love Jesus, then your problems would go away. If you love Jesus, you wouldn't think about that. If you had Jesus, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really worry about that. If you, had, if, you, if you loved God enough, then you'd live the right way, right? Maybe. I just don't know anybody's ever been able to do that, myself included. As a matter of fact, the only two people I think had a shot at it, you know, were Adam and Eve. They had perfect lives, perfect marriage, perfect bodies, perfect sex. They even had a perfect relationship with God. And you know how long their perfect relationship lasted? Six verses. <laughs> Six verses. I mean, I'm looking at going, if they couldn't do it, and they lived in a perfect world, and the most tempting thing they had was, don't eat apples? I'm telling you, what makes you think I ever could? Because I'll be honest with you, I got some stuff bigger in my life than don't eat apples. Right? You? Sure. Of course, we know, because we talked about this a couple weeks ago, it has nothing to do with apples and should you eat from that tree. It's the question that keeps coming up in here. Can I trust God? Can I trust God with parts of my life, especially these intimate parts of my life? Can I have a conversation with God? And God looks at me and says, hey, I'm telling you, Jim, it works best this way. Do I look back at him and go, I, I don't know if that's best. I mean, it's good. You know, on a scale of one to 10, God, I know that you probably want like a five or six, but I think I can take what you have. I think I can juice it up to like an eight or nine. I'm telling you, I thank you, God, for getting me this far, but I can take it from here. Just leave me alone. Or, or God looks at you and says, I'm telling you right up front, Jim, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And I look back at him and go, I, I, don't, I don't know if I agree with that, God. God looks at you and says, okay, all right, there are certain boundaries and certain restrictions and rules and whatever you know, and, 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 and you got to stay within these boundaries. And if you cross over there, I'm telling you, you won't like where, where you got it. And, and I look back at God all the time and go, God, I agree with you. For most people, that's true. And in most circumstances, God, I am totally on your, on your page. I'm like, but if you just knew my situation, my, I, I think if you just knew my story, you'd put me in a category all my own and go, okay, it's wrong for the rest of the world, but Jim, you get to pass on this one. I, I really, really think that that's... That's how I live my life. God looks at me and goes, I'm telling you, Jim, it'll, it'll destroy you. And I look back at God and I go, no, it won't. They're doing it and they're fine. They're not playing by your rules. They're not, they're not doing things the way your Bible says. And they, you know what? They're doing fine. They're fine. Back when, when I lived in Kentucky, I had a, a, an Irish setter named Nick. He was like the amazing dog. He was wonderful. And so we bought this little puppy. And at the same time, we just moved into this house. So we, we, went, we called this, people called the Invisible Fence Company. You know what I'm talking about? They came over to our house and they buried a wire all around the perimeter of our, of our yard. And then whenever Nick got too close to the fence, he had this little collar on it. It gave him a little shock. It wasn't bad. It was just a little shock. And before long, you know, he, uh, and yes, my son tried it on. 
and walked around. Yeah, dad. He's like, anyway, all right, but, but uh, he's, he's all right. He's all right. All right. Anyway, before long, Nick knew exactly how far he could go before he got shocked. I mean, everybody's kind of familiar with the concept, all right? And you know, it worked most of the time. But sometimes, especially when he was a puppy, he would get so like excited and caught up in the moment. I remember looking out the window one time and, and, and Nick was out in the backyard, just minding his own business. And this rabbit ran through our yard and he was like, duh. And he, he took off after this rabbit. And it's like, just as he got to the fence, it's like something went, oh yeah. And he put on the brakes and he slid through our yard, across the line, Arr! you know, and then he was laying over there and he got over in our neighbor's yard and just froze. And, he, and, and I watched him. He turned around, looked back at the yard. and was like, I don't know how to get back in there. <laughs> right? I mean, I've I, I never been over here before, but here I am. And now I, I want to be back in my yard. But I, I don't even know how, how, to, how to get there. So my, my, to answer my question, why are we spending five weeks on this subject of relationships and sexuality? Here's why. Because let's be honest. This room is made up of two categories of people, mostly. Those of us who currently are in the yard, and we're playing by God's rules pretty much, you know, we're, and everything's okay, but something has already caught our eye. And we're looking across the fence, and we're just kind of wondering, I think that might be better than what I've got. And we're thinking about making a run for it. And even if it's going to zap us a little bit, we'll be all right. The other group of people would be those of us in here who... You know, even if we wanted to get back in the yard, we kind of gave up hope on that a long time ago. And it's not even possible. We, you know who we are? We're the people that every time someone says, let's bow our heads in prayer, we rehearse it. Right? We remember it. Every time we pass out communion, we go back to that. We rehearse it and we go over it and we ask this question of God, is it, is it too late for me? Am I disqualified? So... Here are the doors we're going to look at over the next you know, three or four weeks, okay? The first one we already started over here. This is the, the door that Scott kind of talked about. This is like God's plan for your marriage, you know? It's intimate. There's no guilt there. It's like perfect community, perfect sharing, and it's, it's for life. It's one flesh. It's, it's, intimate. it's intimacy that leads out, out of sexuality. So, so we already kind of looked at that, and that's, that's awesome. But look down here at the last door, and if you haven't noticed it, it's the same door as the first door, except it's a little more banged up. So it's got some, you know, some dirt on it, some smudges on it. Um, it's kind of faded and stuff like that, but it's the same door. And see, the goal of this whole thing is, is it possible that we get from there to there with the same dreams? Or do we just have to surrender all those? Okay, do we have to say goodbye to all of our hopes because we got banged up along the way? Is it possible that we can still end up in a good place in our life, no matter what happens between there and there? That's, that's kind of the question we want to look at. But here's the truth, and most, a lot of us in this room can testify to this. There's a lot of other doors that we're going to be forced to walk through. We didn't want to walk through them. We didn't vote on it. We didn't say, I'd really like to walk through it. No, no, no. They're just doors that are going to be put in front of us, and we're going to have to knock on them. Like, what do you do? What do you do when the person you're married to comes to you and says something like this? I don't want to be married to you anymore. I can't, I can't stay with you anymore. I mean, I love you, but not the way I used to love you. And I love our kids, but I just don't want the same address anymore. I'm telling you, I don't love you. I don't want to be married to you any, anymore. And we put chains and locks on that because here, here's why. Is the, the divorced people that I've walked through, either those who have done the divorcing or the ones who've been divorced say, that's my life. I feel like I've been locked out of huge sections of my life. This is closed. I can't have those dreams anymore. I don't have access to my children anymore. I'm telling you, all my hopes, my dreams, my life, my, my church, some of it, my, my church locked me out. 
My friends, they, they, I don't know where my friends are anymore. I'm, I am all alone. What do you do when your husband or wife comes up and says that? Or what do, you, what do you do when the person that you love and you thought you would love forever and, and truthful, I'll be faithful to you for whatever, and they, you find out for whatever reason they're lying to you. They said, I'll be faithful to you and only to you as long as, as, long as both shall live, so help me God. And, and they didn't keep it. They're having an affair or affairs, emotional, sexual, whatever. But they're, you know, when they're out of town, they're out of town. And they're, they're, they're going and they're meeting up with some person. And you're devastated by that. What do you do then? Do you just skip ahead to door five? Well, it's divorce because do not pass go. Go directly to divorce. Is, can you recover from an affair? Can you recover from betrayal in your marriage? Is it, is it even possible? Well, I'll give you a door. And this is the door I'm probably the most nervous about next week. And, and here's why I'm nervous about this door, this closet door. And, he, and here's why, all right? Not because of what I'm going to say, because I believe with all my heart what I'm going to teach next weekend, but because people on both sides of this issue are just going to bash me. And here's, here's, here's the question I'm going to look at. What do you do when you legitimately, authentically, with all of your heart, look across the room and you are sexually attracted to someone of the same sex? What do you do? You say, well, I know what the Bible says about that one. I read the Bible. You got to take people like that. Do you really know what the Bible says about that? Because Jesus didn't even talk about it. Do you know what the Bible says about it? And if you're going to quote to me some verse out of the Old Testament, right beside don't touch dead pigs and don't get a tattoo. And if you're on your period, you got to live in a tent till you're done. If that's what you're going to throw in my face, I'm not really sure you know what the Bible says about it or what the Bible teaches the followers of Jesus, how to respond to somebody that's attracted to someone of the same sex. And I want, I want to say this, all right? I'm going to be chomping a modium all week, all week on this one, okay? I'm telling you. I mean this. If you're gay or you know someone that's gay, would you please come here this next week? Would you invite your friend? I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. All I'm going to do is go, this is what God says. This is what God says for his people, how to respond. And I'm going to point people towards Jesus and then they can work it out. In their own time, in their own way. But until they do, and even if they never do, could we be a church that still welcomes them? Is that even possible? Because that's what I'm teaching. So if you don't like that, don't come next week because that's what I'm going to say. But anyway, let me go back here to to door number two. (laughs) There you go, all right? (laughs) Door number two. Door number two is the broken door. It's the broken door. And here's what I want to talk about with, with that one because the broken door applies to all the other five doors. See, for whatever reason, you find yourself with a broken door. Either somebody broke it and kicked it in and came in and took something from you. Or maybe you kind of broke out. You kind of kicked your way out saying, I don't want to be here anymore. So it happened one time or, you know, it's been hell since for as long as I can remember whether it's, you're going, well, it's her fault. No, it's his fault. I'm not even sure. I can't even remember whose fault it is. I I don't know. The truth is, is all of us are going to find ourselves knocking on God's door going, I need some help. Because there's a part of my life that's broken and I'm looking for truth. And I need some help. God, what do you have to say about here I am? It's going to be good. To kind of get ready for that, um, get your programs out, all right? And I got some fill in the blanks. Yay! You should all cheer when I say that. But um, they're just, I didn't tell you five things I want to teach you. And here's the thing about these five truths, principles, statements, whatever you want to call them. I believe these are five things that God would say to you if you knocked on his door in regards to sexuality. And, and I want to make a bold statement here, and you have to come back next, day, next couple weeks to even understand it. What I'm about to tell you is true no matter what. It's true whether you're married or single. It's true whether you've been married five minutes or 50 years. It's true whether you're gay or straight. I'm telling you, these things are true because they're just true. 
These things you can apply to no matter what your situation is. These are true. So fill in the blanks here. Here we go. It says, the first one would be this. You're not your own. You are not your own. I'm pretty sure that if we were to knock on God's door and say, hey, I got this question about sexuality or marriage or relationships or, or all this kind of stuff. I think the first thing he would look at us and say is, hey, you know what? You don't think about yourself the right way. I think he would look at you and go, you, you don't think enough about yourself. You don't think highly enough about yourself. Let me just remind you who you are. He would look at you and he'd say, I, first of all, I just got to tell you, do you remember I made you and I love you? And nothing you've done or doing or will do is ever going to change that. And I even proved that to you is that when you messed up your life, I bought you. And how much does it cost me? My son. I think you're worth dying for. That's not Jim. I wouldn't die for you. It hurts your feelings. I'm sorry. I would not die for you. God already did die for you. And then he says this. And not only did I just, you know, this is not theoretical. I died on a cross for you. I rose. I forgave your sin. And now I live in you. I live in you. I don't live in a church building. I don't live in Jerusalem. I don't live in heaven. I live in, in you. God lives in you. Look at this, this verse here. It says, do you not know? It's like Paul's going, think. Do you not know? You forgot that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not a building. I mean, your body is where the spirit of Jesus lives. Who is in you, whom you receive from God. And here it is. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. What was the price? The blood of Jesus. Therefore, if that's true, honor God with your body. See, there's a tendency, call it a philosophy, a worldview, or perspective that says this. It's my life. It's my body. It's my choice. I can do what I want. I can do it with whoever I want. I can do it however I want. It's my life. And as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, it's no problem. Then Paul comes along and goes, "Uh, do you not know? Let me think. Is that really the way you want to live your life? Is that really all you want out of life? And then he says this, do you not know God lives in you? Meaning this is that every, everything you do is a spiritual act, everything. Which leads me to the second thing is that I've lived most of my life, divided my life into boxes. Here's my career life. Here's my school box, whatever you want to call it. Here's my relationship box. Here's my sexuality box. And then there's this box I show up a couple times a month called my God box. And I kind of check in with him. Are we okay, big guy? You know, yes, okay. And then I go back to all my other boxes. Because this is real life. And then there's my God box over there. And Paul comes on and goes, no, 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 that's not, that's not it at all. Look what he says this in Romans 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, I'm just, just remember, okay, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what he's done for you, how much he loves you, here's what, here's what you ought to do. Offer your what? Let's say it out loud. Offer your bodies. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. You know what he doesn't say? Offer your songs as your spiritual act of worship. He didn't say that. Pray more. Go to church more. You know, read the Bible more. He didn't say that. You know what? He didn't even say this. Give God your heart. Ask Jesus into your life. It's not in the Bible. I've looked. That phrase is not in the Bible. It's a little vague. How do you ask God into your life? Paul gets right to it. He says, oh, let's just get right to it. Put your flesh on the altar. Put, put your sexuality up there. Lay your hormones up there, your sex drive, your desires. Lay your fantasies on the altar. Oh, Jim, that sounds horrible. Put your fantasies on the altar. Say, hey, God, this is, this, this is kind of a weird picture. But you give God control of your sex organs. Which is a weird visual, but just go with it, all right? Because here's the truth is, wherever they go, you go. And wherever you go, God goes. 
You can't separate out your life. You just can't. Let me get to the second one here because I've got I to hurry, all right? The second one would be this. Just because you can do it or just because you feel it doesn't mean you should do it. This is so countercultural, isn't it? I mean, just because you, I, I can do it and I feel like doing it doesn't mean you should do it. That same paragraph, Paul says this. He says this. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I won't be mastered or you know, controlled by, by anything. And then he gives an example. For example, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. That makes sense. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. And that word immorality is, if you could put a bullseye and say, that's God's plan for my life, immorality would be anything off that bullseye. Whatever degree it is, way off, like you hit the field next to you, or just a few degrees off. That's, he says, you know, that's it's not what your body was meant for. But your body was meant for Jesus and Jesus for you. Now, now look back at that, that verse real quick, okay? If you notice, part of that's in quotation marks. And a lot of people believe this, and this is what I believe, is that Paul is actually quoting like the local philosophers and poets and songwriters. You know, it'd be like their version of pop, pop culture. It's like he's saying, hey, you know, you're in your chariot today, kind of listening to the radio, and the DJ came on and said, yeah, oh, yeah. So you remember how you hear all these songs and this, this teaching out there that says, hey, you know, everything's permissible for you. That was the philosophy. I can do anything I want. I turned 18. Don't tell me what to do. I can do anything I want. I'm an adult. I'm my own boss. And if that's true, if I can do something and I want to do something, and I feel like doing something, and I'll go even further. If I believe I was created to do that, then who, is, who are you to tell me that it's wrong? Paul comes along and says, well, let's just kind of compare that. Listen, food, it's a good thing. We'd all agree on that. We all need food, all right, right? But a lot of us, this is our, our life, food used the wrong way can kill you. It can kill you. Yeah, like, same thing. Is alcohol a bad thing? No. No. There's no verse in the Bible that says alcohol is evil. No, 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 no. But how many of us could say, my testimony is, if you abuse alcohol, it'll destroy you and everyone in your life. Isn't that some of our stories? Fire. Fire is a great thing. Heat food with it. Keep warm with it in the winter. But I'm telling you, you get fire outside the fireplace, it'll burn your house down. It's the same with sex. Is sex a bad thing? No. It's an awesome thing. It was, it was God's idea. But let's just be honest. There are a few things in your life that if you mess up here, few things have as much potential to hurt you and destroy you and de- devastate you and everyone around you. See, just because you have the right to do something and the ability to do something and the desire to do something and even a person that will do that with you, that doesn't make it right. He said, but it feels right. I mean, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? The great song, you know, but, you know, the Bible talks about our hearts as kind of the, the seat or the kind of the source of all of our emotions. This is what a guy several thousand years ago wrote. His name was Solomon. He says, above all else, I mean, of all the things in your life that you're going to guard, all right, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Meaning everything comes out of that. As your heart is, so goes your life. Jesus said that out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks, your hands move, your feet kind of go over there. It's, it's, it's a, it can be the source of a lot of good things. You act out of the overflow of your heart. I would say that the number one philosophy of this culture is be true to your heart. Follow your heart. You'll know in your heart when it's right. You know what's your heart telling you to do? And that's not a bad thing. 
But what about this? Jeremiah 17 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, the Bible has to agree with itself. So it says, okay, I have the overflow of my heart. It's the wellspring of my life. And then the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It means this. If you've got great stuff in your heart, Jesus in your heart, God in your heart, everything's right, right? Your heart can move you to do amazing things, awesome things. But the Bible's saying, be really, really careful about letting your heart and your emotions and your feelings be your primary guide for your life because the same heart that can lead you to do great things can lead you to places you do not want to go. And again, wouldn't a lot of us say that's our story? I really felt like it was the right thing to do. I really believed that this is what I was supposed to do. I really, I, I really was just trying to follow my heart. And I was wrong. Is that some of our stories? Let me give you three more. I got to hurry here, okay? The next one is this. Flee from sexual immorality. Again, missing the mark. And immorality is anything that's out of bounds from God. Paul writes this, flee, run away from sexual immorality. Now, we talked about this last year. There are some things in the Bible that God says, you stand there and fight. I mean, you, you get the armor of God on and you get the word of God on and you beat that thing and you conquer that thing and you overcome. You, you, you stand there and you can make it, all right? But not this. Not, not sexual mistakes. The Bible says, hey, if you're tempted to do something sexually or there's just this, you know, it's just out of bounds, but you're sitting there going, I don't know. You know what the Bible says? Run. Run the other direction. Don't sit there and go, ah, this isn't a big deal. It's a big deal. You know, don't, don't sit there and go, this is nothing. Don't stand there and flirt. I can handle this. This is no big deal. This is just, I'm just flirting. No, no, it says run. I mean, how famous last words? I can handle this. How about this one? It just goes with the job. You know what I would say to that? Get a new job. And here's why. It's easier to get a new job than a new family. You got to run away. Now, here's the thing, okay? That's where most Christian teaching stops. Someone stands on a stage and goes, stop feeling that. Oh, thanks. That's helpful. (laughs) Don't think about those things anymore. And if you love Jesus, how about that one? That's the trump card. If you love Jesus, you wouldn't think about that or or feel those kind of feelings. Well, I'm just going to be honest with you. Then I don't love Jesus. Because the more you tell me, don't do that, don't think about that, that's all I can think about. Anybody else? I remember when I was in high school, one of my teachers stood up and said, now, Jim, if you love Jesus the way you're supposed to love Jesus, when you looked at girls, you wouldn't even notice their bodies. (laughs) Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, no, you would just see them as God's princesses. And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, I love Jesus, so I'm going to give this a try. And I went to school the next day, and I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was something in the water. I don't know if the world hit puberty overnight. But I'm saying my school turned into breast city everywhere. <laughs> everywhere I went, they were there, like staring at me. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. I put my head in my locker going, go away. There they are. And I was just like, Any, anybody else? Any, come, any, I'm the only one. You big liars. No, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, if you tell me to stop doing something or, 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 or don't do something, to run away from something, you better give me something to run to. Most, most, most churches just say, just stop being sexual. Well, that's not going to happen. So let me give you one more. So it's run, flee from sexual immorality. How about this? Flee to the power of God. Flee to the power of God. In that same paragraph there, it says this. By his power, by God's power, God raised Jesus from the dead And he will raise us also. 
You know, nowhere in the Bible, and I've, I've read it over and over again, there is no place in the Bible that says, okay, deny your sexuality. Pretend like it doesn't exist. Pretend like you're not a sexual being until you finally get married. And then it's like, boom, oh, there it is. Oh, okay. You know, the Bible teaches the opposite. You better admit you're sexual. You, you better come to grips and acknowledge that your sexuality plays a huge part of who you are. So much so that unless you don't take that, that enormous part of your life called sexuality and put it under something that's even more enormous, bigger, whatever, it'll, it'll run your life. It'll run your life and it'll ruin, ruin your life. Well, what is that? What am I supposed to run to? Paul says, there is this power that's available to everybody who asks God to forgive them through Jesus Christ. Jesus moves into you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power God says, I'll give it to you. The same power that God said, let there be light. It's the same power that God's going to give you to say, I want you to walk this road and not that road. Not because you feel like walking my road. Let's just be honest. If I felt like following God, I wouldn't need his power. I need his power because I don't feel like following God. And remember, remember who God is? He's a good God. He's not a cruel God. He's not a God of frustration. Here's what I've learned over and over in the Bible. Anytime God says, I want you to do that, or I want you to not do that. He always supplies equal or greater power to accomplish it. And if he says, I I don't have enough power to get you out of that, then he won't command you to do it. If he commands you to do something, he'll give you enough power to do it. If he commands you not to do something, he will give you enough power to not do it. Or he won't tell you to do it or not do it. Let me give you one more and then I'm done. This is a big one. For this couple weeks ago. Sexual sin, sexual mistakes are in a category all their own. You mess up sexually, I'm telling you, it is different than everything else. Listen to what Paul says. I'm going to finish that verse. Flee from sexual immorality, all other sins. You might want to underline that, okay? All other sins, meaning there's, there's, there's sin, and then there's this, and it's just different. All other sins a man or woman commits are outside of their body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Sexual sin is just different, and we know that. Not from a condemnation point. If you you do this sexually, I mean, you go to a deeper part of hell. No, that's not what he's talking about at all. But from a consequence, the dominoes fall in your life. There's bigger fallout. See, I'm not saying it's okay, but you you can get drunk. You can get high. You can tell a lie. You can rob a bank. And you know what? You you can recover from that. You can recover from from most sins in your life. You can make a mistake. You can do this. You can get arrested. You can can get addicted, something like that. You know, you can kind of come to grips with that. You mess up sexually, even with Jesus. It's going to leave you changed, isn't it? It'll impact the rest of your life. And again, isn't that my story, your story? I did things. People did things to me, with me, and I can't get past it. Just always there. So let me, let me wrap up with this. Is it possible? Is it possible to believe that God is not only to, and willing to forgive you for your past mistakes? I mean, that's huge. Is it possible that you're able to wrestle through God with this and come to grips going, he forgave me? But I'm gonna go another step. Is it possible that he could help you forgive you? That's harder, isn't it? I can buy in and go into heaven and stuff like that. I, don't, I just can't forgive myself or I can't forgive that person. Here's, here's another question. Is it possible to believe that God can change not just the way you think about sex? Oh, we can get there, but the way you think about yourself. That's who I am to you, God. 
All my mistakes didn't change my value to you. You're, it changed my value to everybody else. It changed my value to my ex-husband and my, and my, and my parents and my, and my kids. It changed my value to them. You're telling me that you still think that way about me? Let me give you one more. Is it possible to believe that God is willing and able to use your past, not against you, but actually for you? Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? God says, I'm, I promise, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, I promise I will use it for you and not against you. And is it possible he was talking about you? Is it possible that no matter how many broken doors and broken roads and broken fences you have in your life, is it possible God still has a plan for your life and you're not disqualified? I slip a country song in there every once in a while. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, no matter what God teaches you over the next couple of weeks in here, maybe even tonight, I, I think there's this overarching thing that he wants to teach you. And it's this, is that he still loves you. And his greatest desire in his life is not to punish you and point out, oh, you did this wrong. No, his greatest desire is to forgive you and pull you back close to him and say, now, I, I believe the... the Although, especially the New Testament, there's this theme that I read in phrases in 50 different ways. It basically goes like this. Okay, forgetting what's in the past, just let go of it. Could we just move on now with him? And what if, it, what if it, that's the message God wants to say to you? Is, this, is that there's grace available. And his grace is greater than any sin that you could possibly come up with. And you know, no matter what broken road you've got in your life, you know what God's specialty is? Twisting broken roads back towards a place that you thought you'd never, ever, ever be able to allow to go back to. New hopes and new dreams. Um, just because you gave up on you, just because somebody else gave up on you, that doesn't, doesn't mean God has. And this question we're going to ask again and over and over again, can you trust God with the most intimate parts of your life? You say, well, I want to. I just don't. Know what to do with all these feelings and all these things. I know, I know, me too. Um, I have a friend uh, that was, he, he joined the Air Force several years ago and he went to flight school. And uh, if you've ever gone to flight school or learned how to air, fly an airplane, you get a certain point where you have the instructor beside you and it's all good and you can kind of look around and stuff like that. But there's this, there's this point where they say, now we're going to teach you to fly by your instruments. And so what they do is the, the instructor goes up with you and they put a special like visor on you and the visor comes way down low and you cannot see out the windows anymore. All you can see are your instruments. And then once you have that visor on, the instructor rolls it this way and rolls it this way and dives and comes back up and gets everything messed up in your head and then looks at you and says, okay, fly straight. And, and my friend Matt, he was saying, if I flew the way I felt was even... I looked at the, the artificial horizon there and I was actually flying like this. If I flew the way I felt, I'll fly straight into the ground. He says, I had to go with what the, what the, the instrument panel says. And so I, I turned it over here and I felt like I was almost flying upside down. But after a while, everything kind of leveled out and my feelings matched up with the truth. And I, I passed the course. And it, could it be that? That's what it is for me. Following God didn't feel right sometimes. It feels even counter to what I want. My question is, can I trust him? I promise you this, next week, the next week, the next week, and for, forever, I hope, you know, is that there's no condemnation here, folks. 
Because if we're going to throw stones at people, I'll go first. Throw them at me. Um, I'm not preaching what I think you ought to do. I'm, I'm teaching what God's teaching me. It's the only way I'm making it. Um, let me pray. God, um, we just need a place of grace, a place of healing, a place of truth. And we don't want to throw truth out the window and say, it's just all, it's all good, it's just, just grace, grace. And we don't want to throw grace out the window and say, this is the truth and you better get in line. It's both. It's both. And God, we've been beat up by the world. We've injured ourselves. We've made good choices and bad choices. We've stayed under your umbrella and then sometimes we've wandered out. We just, even those of us right now in this room, they're looking across the fence going, I know it's wrong, but I just want to go over there. God, would you give us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to stay, to stay true to where you want us to go? God, maybe above all else, maybe we need to go stand under a hoopah tonight. Maybe we need to get baptized. Maybe we need to go take communion in these next couple of songs. Whatever that is, God, would you remind us that there's no condemnation, none, for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Would you just remind us of that? We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.